So I got the privilege of taking my family on a little trip this week, uh, and uh, we, we have a high enough regard for God's Word here and the preaching of God's Word that me being gone for a week and not preparing for a sermon is not how we like to do things. And so uh, I, I started fishing around uh, for some, some other opportunities, and my friend Ramaya um, is, uh, is uh, the associate pastor at First Baptist Church of Marlboro, Massachusetts, uh, and he is hopefully one of these days, Lord willing, going to be planting on the North Shore of Boston a, a new church. And so uh, we, we aren't the type of church that's scared of letting uh, people have some preaching reps as they're getting ready to go out and do it for, you know, on a regular basis. And so uh, I asked Ramiah if he would come share God's word with us this morning, and the fool said yes. All right? And so I got to go on a little vacation, and he's here today. And so uh, as he comes, Ramiah, come on, brother. Um, would you continue to pray for him that uh, God's word would be expounded well? Thank you. Good. Yep, right, cool. you're on. <laughs> Delighted to be here with you uh, to bring God's word. Thank you for the privilege, uh, Pastor Stephen, my good friend. If you have copies of your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to the book of Psalms. I know you guys are doing a series in the book of Psalms, and uh, Psalms is... A wonderful text to uh, preach on. There's so many wonderful things, promises of the Lord that we can find in this passage. Um, so if you have copies of your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 119. And we're going to be looking at verses 89 to 96. And if... Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to give honor to the reading of God's Word. Just follow along as I read. Starting in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For For all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. May the good Lord add special blessing upon the reading of his word. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we can gather and study your words today. Just just borrowing the prayer of John Stott. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit, our teacher, your greater glory, our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
It is my prayer as we go on uh, studying this section of the scripture in the book of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. That is my prayer for each and every one of us as we look into this passage that God would open our eyes, that we will see the wondrous things of his word, of his law. The book of Psalms are like little Bible in and of themselves. And uh, independently, Psalm 119 is like a little Bible in of itself. It contains in a thesis that God's word is to, to be preeminent in the believer's life. And it houses in everything that a growing Christian would need to draw closer to Jesus Christ if they would but take time to consider it, to meditate on it, to uh, even in the midst of your affliction. The psalmist acknowledges the unchangeableness of the word of God and all of his counsels. I don't know if you have seen this movie. Uh, back in 2003, movie about Martin Luther. You've, many of you probably have seen that, right? Uh, there's a scene from 2003 movie of Martin Luther's life in which a despairing Luther is caught in the grips of most terrible anguish. And uh, it's a rough depiction of the actual events. And at this point, Luther has his confidence in all the wrong things in the world. He's not saved. And he's honest enough to recognize that, that he knows that he's not saved. He can see that his faith in religious works and medieval superstitions in the merit of others simply isn't sufficient to placate the anger and of a just and righteous God who takes issue of his sin over and over and over again. And what happened? Luther goes to confession, calling all to mind uh, every possible infraction he can remember. He is in great terror of judgment. He's mentally and emotionally tormented, and nothing can give him peace. I don't know about you. Have you experienced that? I've experienced that many times. Like, Lord, you know, here I am again. I've done the thing that I already confessed yesterday, last week, a month ago, and I did the same thing. So Luther is in this uh, dilemma, mentally, emotionally tormented, trying to find peace, and eventually his mentor, a wise old man by the name of Johann von Staupitz, he is a German theologian, university preacher, and a vicar general of the Augustinian friars in Germany, counsels Luther to pray the words, these very texts that we have just read. To pray this section, this very section of the scripture in Psalm 119, verse 89 to 96. For Luther to give up trying to earn his way to heaven. 
and to surrender all of his doubts and questions and all anxieties and attempts at debating God and to simply look at the cross and say, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. Repeatedly, Luther prayed that short sentence, especially that two word, save me. I am yours, save me. And in that scene, the tired and haggard Luther grasps at the crucifix, at the wooden picture symbol of the cross, and he, and empty of all else, he begins to pray those words. And there are, of course, other moments in the journey and faith in the life of Martin Luther that stands out, especially his understanding of Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And that the just shall live by faith. But the filmmakers brilliantly captured what this looks like in the scene. In Luther's exhausted capitulation, his weary prayer just uttering, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. What it really boils down to is surrender. Maybe you've been in that same situation. Maybe you are in that situation right now. Lord, I don't know what to do. I am in this big dilemma in my life. Maybe financially, maybe you're in the brink of, you know, because there was a family problem, an issue. Maybe your, your marriage, you know. And you are, you are here desperate, asking God, Lord, what can I do? Save me. I tried everything. I've tried everything, Lord, but to no avail. Just like Luther, he surrendered. He learned to surrender. And you know what? And when we do that, when we learn to surrender, God is most pleased to give him his children a blessed sense of peace. Amen? This psalm is very Pivotal in the great reformer's life, the, the fastidious monk Martin Luther, where he relied heavily on this little phrase, save me, save me, during his initial ministry. As with Luther, so with us, my hope is that you and I will be encouraged to pray along the same lines on this book of Psalms, on this section of this passage, desiring God to truly save us, even to ourselves, even to ourselves, Luther learned to humble himself, fully surrender to God. And that God would rev revolutionize our hearts, desiring to love him more, to love his words. Meditate on it day and night, memorize it, and value it as our greatest treasure. Charles H. Spurgeon once said, I'm trying to rephrase it, the Bible that is falling apart belongs to someone who isn't. Right? The Bible that is falling apart belongs to someone who isn't. Let that be our prayer that we will love God's word more and more you see, 
Psalm 119 is monumental, not only in the length, and in, uh, but also in the artistic skill of the psalmist, the breath to which it develops its theme, the law, the word of God. It is composed of 22 stanzas. If you're going to look at uh, the Bibles with you, you're going, especially in Psalm 119, you're going to see uh, some, like, at the beginning of uh, Psalm 19, there's that little title all capitalized. It says Lamed, right? So these are Hebrew alphabet. So you're going to notice here that there are, it is composed of 22 stanzas, one stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which it follows in order. And each stanza has eight lines long with each of those lines beginning with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Eight words are used to describe the law of God, God's word, all roughly synonymous. And you see here, correspondingly in Psalm 119, the word lamed, the 12 Hebrew letter, means to prick. It means, it means instinct, incite, or goad. Have you seen... Um, You've probably been in the farm or something. There's that long wooden stick that uh, the shepherds would use to whip uh, the unruly cattle or sheep, right? That is the word. That is a picture word that, uh, that the psalmist is using here. The, the word lamed, as a shepherd might do to provoke a cattle to perform an action. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we as God's sheep, we tend to go somewhere else, right? We go wayward. And sometimes we need some whooping from God, right? So you see, beloved in the Lord, this is a wonderful text because not only the word, the word lamed teaches us about the instructions, the, the, the word God inside, but it also teaches us from the root word lamad, Hebrew letter, which means to learn, to teach. And, it's, and it first appears in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, which, which reads, Now, Israel, listen to the statutes of the judgment, which I am teaching you to perform, so that you will live. You see, beloved in the Lord, the Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth. God's instruction is right here. Remember, Charles H. Spargen said, the Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone who isn't. You see, we need God's Word, especially nowadays. With all that's going on around us, sometimes I'm so sick and tired looking at Facebook, social media. I get on there because I use that as a platform, but sometimes I don't have, to be, to be honest, I don't have time to scroll all, you know, that news feed. I'm like, I don't care about what other people do, <laughs> you know? But sometimes we get so, we're so bombarded with all that's going on, in the news, uh, on the radio, what, all those things, the crazy things that's going on around our world. Let me give you an example right now. I, I saw on Instagram the other day, um, in China, they're trying to change uh, 
certain section in, in the book of John. And they're trying to cut down, you know, the, the story that Jesus uh, did not condemn the, the women who, who, who were caught in adultery. I forgot the exact uh, phrase that they changed, but in China right now, there's a, there's a high school in China um, that uh, they decided to change that little section after the people left when the Lord Jesus Christ says, you know, uh, where are there thou accusers? And then after those people from young and old left, and that section says that Jesus threw a stone at the woman. I'm like, what is going on? That, that's the crazy things that, that I'm, I'm talking about. You see, beloved in the Lord, in the Hebrew culture, learning and our teaching is always tied to an action. Whatever we learn from the scriptures, we ought to live it. We ought to apply it. You see, it has to spur one to take an action like the goat would do with an animal. And the goat represents God's word. Just like the shepherd uses goat to provoke an animal to take an action in the field, God uses his word to lead us to take an action in our lives. Amen? So in the following verses, the psalmist helps us to see what encouraged him and what he saw in the unchangeable word of God. That's the title of our sermon today, the unchangeable word of God. So just to give you the outline, the main three points, as a good Southern Baptist pastor, I have to stick with three points, <laughs> okay? Uh, but there's so many stuff that we can see here. But first thing that we can see here, if you are jotting down notes, verses 89 to 91, first thing that we can see is the perpetuity of God's word. The perpetuity of God's word. Second thing that we can see here, verses 92 to 95, the preserving promises of God's word. And then in verse 96, the perfection of God's word. Let me repeat that. The perpetuity of God's word, verses 89 to 91, the preserving promises of God's word, verses 92 to 95. The perfection of God's word in verse 96. You probably heard this saying. You can count on that. Or how about, assure us the sun turns into night. You probably heard about that statement, right? What is one certainty in life? What is that one thing you can depend on? Is it a person? Is it Pastor Stephen? Uh-oh. <laughs> is, it, is it a place? Is it a career? Is it your 401k? <laughs> Pastor Stephen. I think you need to preach some on. <laughs> How about the government? Maybe your, your, your trust, you're banking on, you're, you're depending on the government. That's a, that's a relief. <laughs> when someone asks you that question, how long does it take you to answer? Right? In a day when our world is so desperately in need of something to build upon, established and true, it can know for sure, just like the psalmist says, 
I have that certainty, and it is found in God through His Word. Amen? First thing that we can see here, the perpetuity of God's Word in verse 89 to 91. Look with me in verse 89 says, I like the word says that forever. The word forever, it means long time, perpetual, long-term constancy. It says here that God's word is settled in heaven. The beginning of the section of the scripture tells us that the word of God is settled forever. It is settled. God's word is permanent. The psalmist makes a simple declaration that God's word is perpetually settled in heaven. You see, beloved in the Lord, I may, I may not fully understand nor explain or can, nor can explain all of who God is. And all of that in his word declares, but I take a stand with many other faithful preachers and pastors, theologians, to proclaim that the Bible, the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God is forever settled in heaven. Now, that is something that we can build our lives on. That is something that I am certain. My knowledge, my, 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 uh, maybe, maybe my understanding... From the word, it's limited. But God's word is settled. It's permanent. Something that we can really bank on. You see, nothing compares to the word of God. It is eternal. It is unchanging, established. Notice it says here, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. You see, the psalmist is saying here that God's word is eternal, it is unchanging, it is established, it is firmly fixed in heaven. Firmly fixed in heaven, you see. I like what um, the Puritan Thomas Manton had said. On his commentary on this uh, book in this section of Psalm. Actually, he did the whole commentary of Psalm 119. And I like what he said, and, my, and I quote, It implies that God is eternal. So is his word. And it hath a fit representation in heaven and in earth. In heaven, in the constant motion of heavenly bodies. In earth, in the consistency and permanency thereof. That as his word doth stand fast in heaven, so that his faithfulness on earth, where the afflictions of the godly men seem to contradict it. Thomas Manton basically is saying here that God's word is eternal, that God's word uh, fitly represents heaven and earth because God established it. You see, the psalmist's faith-filled testimony about the perpetuity and the perfection of God's Word, it is good news to us. It is good news for all of us, for those who trust and obey God and in His Word. 
You see, I like uh, the prayer of our brother here. He mentioned that God's word is our rock. Amen? God's word is our rock. You see, it may not always make sense, especially when you read the Old Testament. There are some things that you don't understand, right? It may, sometimes it may not make sense. It may not always give us what we want. It may not always give us what we wanted to hear. It may not always keep us out of trials and storms. But let me encourage you, beloved, in the Lord. It will never let us down. God's word is settled in heaven. Man on earth can never unsettle it. Amen? God's word is a solid rock upon which we can stand. J.C. Ryle wrote, and I quote, Give me the plenary, verbal theory of the biblical inspiration with all its difficulties rather than the doubt. I accept the difficulties and humbly wait for the resolution. But while I wait, I am standing on the rock. While I wait, I am standing on the rock. See, beloved in the Lord, the book of Psalm 19 declares the sufficiency of the Scripture. This stanza declares the sufficient Scripture is settled, is permanent. Only the Word of God and the souls of man will outlast this world. Billy Sunday, he's a great preacher, said this, I am a Christian because God says so. And I did what he told me to do. And I stand on God's word. And if the book goes down, I'll go with it. You see, not only God's word is settled, but it also endures. It endures to all generations. As the psalmist, as he looks back, as he, uh, as he reads the scripture, the, he is being reminded in the pages of God's written words as he points out the endurance of God's law. The endurance of God's word. This world we live in demonstrates the permanence of the world of God. See, beloved in the Lord, the word of God has never changed. It has never changed. Humans try to change it, but the word of God endured. You probably, you probably heard or probably seen uh, on the news when there's some calamities happen and then like maybe there's an earthquake or something, and then the building collapse, all down the rubble. I remember one, ch one church back in the Philippines. Uh, that during, uh, I think during 90s, when the, uh, the, one of the volcanoes erupted, Mount Pinatubo, you probably heard that. And uh, one of the church really like almost, like the, the, the lava was like, almost on top of the roof. 
But one thing that I'm really, I was really encouraged was that there was, there are copies of Bibles that survived. Right? You see, beloved in the Lord, it endured to all generations. The law, okay, God says on the first day, according to the word of God, God created life. And he set in motion the law of life. The law of light says that light travels the speed of 186,000 miles per second. Its purpose is to dispel darkness and its speed is constant. That law has never changed. We know that the law has never changed because not too many years ago, a scientist has a scientist advanced the human race into atomic age with one simple equation. E equals mc squared. So this means energy equals mass multiplied by the speed of light squared. The very theory of rel relativity, the trust is into the atomic age, is based on the endurance and consistency of a law. But you see, there is a greater law that endured forever. It is God's law. It is God's word. God established his word in the very beginning of time. And praise be to God for those faithful men and women that God used, that we read here in the scriptures, faithfully proclaiming the word of God. And here we are in our generation. We still have copies of our Bibles. The very word of God. Even God's physical laws have a character of perpetuity about them. Thomas Chalmers, one of the Puritans, said this, The constancy of God in His work is an argument to the faithfulness of God in His word. Let me say that again. I hope you, ca you catch this. The constancy of God in His works is an argument for the faithfulness of God in His word. Amen? You see, not only the word of God is settled, not only it endured, but God's word is established on earth. Creation is a proof of God. When God tells something to happen, it happens. God said, let there be light, and there was light. When God says to stay put, it does. I'm, I'm so amazed with my nephew. He's uh, 10 years old now. He is so smart. So smart that he can name all the planets, name all the galaxies, and the, even the little pla planets or planet, or what do they call that, uh, planetoids or something. Even the, um, I'm not a science guy, so uh, even the, the names of the meteors. And in his room, he has like planets hanging up on the ceiling. I am so amazed that he knows that. And then one time, this is a true story. This is a true story. He asked me a question and, uh, about, you know, the dinosaurs and all that. And I'm like, uh, I'm just guessing. I, don't, I really don't know what I said. I don't remember. And then he, he told me, he told me, this is... I'm not kidding. This is a true story. My brother and my, my dad can attest to this. My nephew said, read your Bible again. 
I'm like, I'm so ashamed that my 10-year-old nephew would correct me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. You see, beloved in the Lord, even in the heavens, on and on earth, all the hosts of heavens continue to this day, even to according to God's ordinances. That the, just just look at just look at the galaxies, just look at um, uh, uh, the night sky. How the stars, the moon, they stay in put, right? That tells us something. That tells us that the stability of the, the, the law of God, the stability of the ordinances of the day and night, the heaven and earth, is produced to prove the perpetuity of God's covenant to us. It is, it is a virtue of God's promise to Noah. Whenever you look at the rainbow, it is a promised covenant of God. It is not some pride that you, you know, I'm not going to go there. But you see, beloved in the Lord, God's word, all creatures are in their places and according to their capacities, serviceable to their creator. And the answer, the ends of their creation. God's word which established the world is the same today. From the beginning of time, It's the same today embodied in the scriptures. God's word settled. It endured. Second thing that we can see here. If you're going to notice, if you're going to look at um, the previous uh, verses, look with me in verse 81. It says, My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. Verse 82, my eyes fail from searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? Notice here that the psalmist, uh, before he went on this section in verses 89 to 96, he is actually afflicted. He's concerned, he's worried. I, we, don't, we don't really know what was going on, but there's a lot of things that is going on in the life of the psalmist. Others said that this is a psalm of David. Others said that he's probably too old, that it's probably somebody else. Others said it's probably Solomon. But you see here, the psalmist just reflects on God's word. Here, he remembers the promises of God. You see, look in verse 92. Verse 92 says, Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. See, beloved in the Lord, God's word restores our joy in God amid the greater sorrows of life. I don't know what you are going through right now. Maybe you are in deep sorrow. My, what, this is a true story. One of my friends, he is, uh, I remember when we went to, um, when we went to uh, a restaurant, that was like 20 years ago. This has been an ongoing problem with him. He, he, he has an um, anxiety attack. And then he, uh, last month, he texted me. 
And then he said, um, I, I'm having this panic attack again. And I'm like, what's the cause of it? And I've been asking him, telling him, you know, this is, you know, tell me, tell me what's, what's going on. And what stresses him out is the number of phone calls, the robocalls that he gets on his phone <laughs> while, at his, while he is at work. He's a nurse. And then I ask him, how many times do you get that call? 10, 15 times. I get the same thing. But why, why do you get so stressed out? And he was like, no, I'm just like that. I get so stressed. I'm like, bro, stop it. Don't get, don't get stressed out. Just, and then so what I did, I thought it was like something else. But when he told me that, but bef before we, he told me that, I, I was giving him some verses. Bro, you know, look at this passage. Read, read the book of Psalm. Read the book of Proverbs. And I was telling him all of that, giving him uh, verses that he can, uh, you know, read to encourage him. But when I found out that this, just the robocalls that he gets and the, the voicemails, that he gets on his phone, I'm like, bro, I, I, I get the same thing. You see, sometimes in our lives, you know, we get, we get so anxious. But you, you see, this is just on the, on the serious note. Some people, when they go through different or difficult time or trials in their lives, one of the, one of the first things that they neglect is to be on their knees and read God's word. Right? We try to do or, or we try to search for answers in other things. The very first thing that we forget is, God, you're there. You know what I'm going through. God, speak to me through your word. But the reality is, even in the long-time Christians, right? we think we got it all figured out. Right? We try to get answers from all other places. But you see, this is what happened. That's why the psalmist, when he remembered God's word, he, he, it brings delight in his soul. It brings delight in his soul. Amid of the greater sor sorrows of his life, he remembered God's word. For him, it was his greatest, greater joy. In James, 1, 20, in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, the Bible says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Amen? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you go through different trials and tribulations. I love Apostle Paul. You know, read his epistles, especially in the book of Philippians. Just, just think about this. Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, writing a letter to the Philippian brethren, encouraging them. You know what's, what's crazy about that is that he says in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Right? Apostle Paul is comforted, or was comforted by God's word. 
And that's why he was able to encourage the Philippian church. You see, the psalmist, although he, the psalmist has been afflicted, yet he did not forget, forget God's law. It was actually his delight. The question is, are we delighted whenever we read God's word? Are we delighted that, hey, I'm going to read God's word again. I'm so excited. Or we're just excited because it's Sunday and we're going to read God's word, right? It should be every single day. Every single day we, we are, it should give us delight, it should give us joy that we're going to learn, we're going to hear from God again through his word. But another thing that we can see here in verse 93, God's word brings revival. It says here in verse 93, I will never forget your precepts for, for by them you have given me life. The psalmist was so down because of his affliction, but the word of God revived him. It quickened him. It quickened him, his soul. He was quickened by God and also by his word, by the sound preaching of God's word. That saved him. He understood and he particularly applied the truth of God's word in his life. The power of Christ's death make us to walk in the newness of life. The psalmist rejoice in this, in this great blessing that he knows his soul, though it is afflicted, it can be revived again. It can be quickened. John 10.10 10 declares, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is the power of God. That is the power of God's word, you see. Not only God's word gives life, but also God's word reconciles. Certainly, the psalmist credits God as the Savior. We know that simply reading the Bible does not save, right? We become God's we become God's children by faith alone. But the assurance of being His cannot exist without acknowledging our need of a Savior. The Word of God has the power to breathe new life, a fresh anointing in our lives. That's why Martin Luther said, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. You see, that is our security. That is our security, beloved, in the Lord. Hear this great truth from God's word. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to read from Second um, uh, Corinthians 5, verse 18. God has done all this. He has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us the ministry of restoring relationship. You see, beloved in the Lord, not only God's word uh, revives reconciles and restores but also God's word uh, reminds us that you know uh, that we can be reconciled to God remember 
because of our sins in the book of Genesis, created a gap. We were considered enemies with God. But John 14, 6, the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Me, referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, beloved in the Lord, with, because of our sins, we became enemies with God. But because of the power of God through His Word, through His Son, God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be restored. John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only way we can be restored to be restored to God is to place our faith in Him. Banking on the scriptures, banking on the truth of God's word, placing our faith in God and His word. You see. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith, placing our faith in Him so that we can be reconciled with God. Romans 5 8. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, beloved in the Lord, God's word reconciles. But another wonderful truth that we can see here, God's word restrains the wicked. God restrains, God can restrain the enemy. You see, sometimes... Maybe this is true to you. The enemy will bring to mind, will discourage you, will whisper something in your ears, discourage you, afflict you. But you see, God's word, God's word can restrain the wicked one. And that's why whenever you go through difficulty in your life, bank on this, your protection is God's word. Our protection is God's word. That's why the psalmist says, I will remember your testimonies. The help of God is not contingent upon the perfection of your life. If so, we all are doomed. But God is looking at the direction of your life. We don't have any legitimate reasons to expect God to help us if we are not willing to help, if, if we are not willing to let him help us. Lastly, that we can see here, just looking at our time, lastly, that we can see here, verse 96, the perfection of God's word. The perfection of God's word. Human philosophies and social thinking are finite, limited, and inadequate. The psalmist had seen its limit, for it went a little way. He had seen its evaporation under the trials of life. He had seen the end of many human perfections, and the eye of his understanding saw the end of them all. He had seen some actually end, and he saw that all must end. Even the best things in this world are limited, finite, and tainted. What seems to be perfect invention now, okay, which is working really good, will eventually one day be faced out, maybe broken, maybe you have something 
uh, at your, in your house right now. You have this, you know, this is the latest gadget. It, it's working perfectly, right? And then two months later, what's going on? <laughs> I remember my, my mom, I, I visited my parents uh, last July, uh, last month. I, I visited my parents uh, in California. And uh, two months ago, um, the, the washer broke. So, but I think it, it had its time already. It's been 20 years. <laughs> but you see, but 20 years ago, it was like, you know, the, the latest gadget, the latest washing machine, right? But now, it's, they come up with, you know, I like the, the, the new uh, washing machine that my mom got because you can actually just pour uh, a little soap and then you just put in your clothes, and then the washing machine will figure out what kind of amount of water to put in, right? That's technology, right? You don't need to let the, you know, but you know what I'm saying? But you see, beloved in the Lord, things will face out. Things will be broken. Nothing in this world is perfect. There are no perfect people. No perfect locations, no perfect moments, no perfect experiences, or even perfect achievements. The Hebrew word translated perfection used um, here in the Old Testament, which speaks of an intended end, completing of one thing. You see, beloved in the Lord, everything in this world is inadequate, incomplete, and insufficient. But God's word is settled, permanent, eternal. Amen? It is eternal. Derek Kidner, in his commentary in Psalm 119, made this statement. The verse could very well summarize or summary, the summary of Ecclesiastes. Remember the book of Ecclesiastes? Vanity, vanity. All is vanity, right? Where every earthly enterprise has its day and comes to nothing, where only in God and His commandments do we get beyond these frustrating limits. There's an end to everything. There's a consummation. That's why, look at verse 96, it says, the psalmist says, I have seen the consummation, the end of all perfection, but your commandments is exceedingly broad. All earthly things are limited, but God's word is infinite, infinitely perfect. Amen? Infinitely perfect. The word of the law or the word of God is perfect, complete, sufficient, limitless, and undefeatable. Only God's word can give us hope or a, to a person who is lost, facing an uncertain eternity. Only God's word can give comfort to a grieving person who is standing over the remains of a loved one who has passed. Only God's word can give joy to a person who's feeling lonely and depressed. Only God's word can give peace that surpasses all understanding to uh, the person who is anxious, who's facing eviction in a severe financial crisis. Only God's word can give strength to a troubled teen suffering from parents' divorce. Only God's word can give comfort of healing to a person suffering from the pain of chronic sickness or disease. Only God's word can give guidance to a confused person wrestling with a difficult decision. 
Only God's word can give a person the assurance that there's someone who cares, who values and loves him or her when he or she feels abandoned. Only God's word. Only God's word. So three things, the challenge and application. We're about to conclude. Look at verse 93. Remember, first thing, remember. It says, I will never forget your precepts. I will never forget your precepts. Proverbs 3, 1 to 3 says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not, my, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your hearts. Remember in, the, in Psalm 119? Thy word that I hide in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Hide God's word. Secondly, not only, first thing, remember. Second, devote. Verse 94, it says, I am your, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The key word is sought. Uh, devote, I have sought your precepts. Joshua 1a tells us, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make uh, your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Third thing, remember, devote. Third application, resolve. Resolve. Verse 95, I will consider your testimonies. Psalm 19, verse 7, the testimonies of the Lord is sure. Amen? The testimonies of the Lord is sure. Psalm 19, verse 1, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all or with the whole heart. See, beloved in the Lord, With all that is going on around our world today. There's only one thing that will last. One thing that we can always depend on, bank on, is the truth of God's word. And what's the, what's the, the amazing thing is, It speaks of God's character. It speaks of who God is. It speaks of the God whom we worship and whom we serve. Let me end on this quote by Puritan Thomas Manthon. Let us much, let us be much in hearing, reading, studying, and obeying his word that makes us everything or that makes us everlasting happy. Let me repeat that. Let us be much in hearing, reading, studying, and obeying this word that makes us everlasting happy.